I have the pleasure of, of giving a little bit of an introduction to our speaker this morning. His name is Carlos Calderon. I uh, was able to meet him last night, and what an amazing person, what an amazing story that we get to hear this morning. So he was actually born in, in El Salvador in the midst of civil war. Uh, he then w actually came to the U.S. and uh, attended the University of Texas at Austin, go Longhorns, as he says. Um, and from there, he was, he's done missions work in quite a few places. In Central America, he was a, a, a part of the transition of making Central America from a missions field into a mission sending area. And he and his wife also spent 20 years in the Middle East. Now he is actually the VP of International Ministries for Partners International, and he oversees missionaries in over 37 countries and lives now in Spokane with his wife and his 10 children. So we'll be excited to hear from him. We're really glad to have him this morning and, and really glad to be encouraged by him this morning. So let's pray for this morning and for Carlos as we get ready for what God's going to do. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the chance to worship a God who is overseeing every single person on this planet and who loves each one of those people deeply. I thank you that this morning there are people all around the world celebrating you, celebrating the fact that you as a loving God, sent your one and only Son to give his life so that we can know you personally. I pray that this morning you would speak through Carlos, that you would remind us what it means to live a life that is full of salt and light. And God, I pray that you would move in our midst, and we thank you for your Holy Spirit being here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Buenos dias. Am I in California? Buenos dias. Doing better. A little bit over a hundred years ago, there was a missions conference in the city of Dallas. And there were a group of people like you that were considering the possibility that in a small little country in Central America, there will be people that will respond to the gospel message if they were to take the gospel message to them. That's how the gospel came to my country. And I can imagine that it's quite possible being a missions conference and a missions gathering that they were using a very common passage which is called the Macedonian call. It's in the book of Acts, chapter 16. In where we read that the missionary group that had been commissioned by a church in Antioch that was led by the Apostle Paul were being asked by a man that spoke a different language that was dressed differently that ate differently and actually was from a different nation to come over to them and help them. It was quite a call. It was a call of a different people group. It was a call to cross barriers it was, a, cross, it was a, a call to cross beyond your language. And a hundred years ago, people heard my people asking, can you please come to El Salvador and help us? Before we launch into the topic proper, let me introduce my family. This is my family, a typical Chinese family. We, we practice the one-boy policy. And that's my wife in the middle. No, not in the middle. Next to me. And she's a fantastic woman. She's the one that uh, made all those dresses for everyone. And that's the wedding of our second daughter, 
who happens to be a worker in Turkey. And that is the wedding of the oldest daughter. And the family keeps on growing. We were born in a small little country called El Salvador. How many of you know where that is? Great. You might remember that there was a war in my country. President Reagan and all of that. Communists, Soviets, Cuba, the Contras. Well, I was in the middle of that. And I saw my own classmates being killed next to me. And I was one of those that the next morning would be resolute to go back into the streets and protest and shout and go to the factories and try to steer the people into knowing that injustice was wrong, that they were actually the ones producing the goods that benefit the country and that the America was the enemy. From that context, the Lord spurred my life brought me to faith in Christ. When I came to faith in Christ, I grew up with this deep passion to fight injustice, to proclaim dignity. And there's no better message of human rights than the fact that God himself loved us so much that he sent his only son so that we have a better chance at life. And that is the message that we must proclaim throughout the world. There is no socioeconomic structure that is going to liberate the world. There is no self-help psychology class that is going to restore the dignity of women who are being abused by prostitution and human trafficking. Only the gospel can do that. And so I committed my life to go where no one has ever gone before and to tell people about Jesus Christ. So I came to UT Austin. I'm a Longhorn. Got postgraduate education in engineering and eventually moved to the Middle East. And I began working with an agency called Partners International. And I'll be telling you a little bit about them. So my country is a country of injustice. It's a country of national disasters. It's a country of earthquakes. It's a country of poverty and injustice and it was to that country that some people responded yes to the first Macedonian call the Macedonian call is very simple come over to Macedonia and help us and it was given to the apostle Paul and his band in Acts chapter 16 and if you read that passage he says this he said that during the night they were having Uh, Paul had a dream. These Macedonian men who were speaking Greek. Now, Paul had an advantage. He was a highly educated person, one of those so-called Hellenistic Jews that had grown up as a Jew by ethnicity, but in a Greek environment. So he was multilingual. He was multi-educated. And so he understood these Macedonian men telling him to come over to Macedonia and help him. He said that during the night he had a dream. And the next morning, they understood that God was calling them to go to Macedonia. And so they took a boat and jumped over. A lot of good stuff here. Number one, who had the dream? 
Paul had a dream. It was not like everyone had a dream. I am glad that the leadership of the church in Dallas heard our Macedonian call. That it was not put to a vote in which everyone decided because some people might have said, No, we have such a great need right here. Why do you want to go to Central America? Why do you want to go to these people? Why do you want to go to the natives, as we were called? Why do you want to work with the nationals? Why do you want to go to the indigenous people? In fact, the huge missionary movement, the modern missionary movement, began after a man was told, Listen, young boy, if God wants to save them, He doesn't need you or I. Sit down and shut up. That's how the modern missions world began. The modern missions movement began. The men decided to disobey and obey scripture. The people in Dallas came willingly to my country. And I'm here standing as a living proof that missions works. Did you hear me? Maybe I look dangerous to you. I don't know. But someone had compassion on me and in my people and in my country and they brought the gospel to me and I am a Christian. The first missionary call, Macedonian call, was given, of course, to Paul. And Paul went through all those countries in Asia Minor, Turkey, and the Greek world. And what I'm about to show you is going to be the story of two contrasts. Because that same world, the world that had missionary conferences, the world that had the churches praying and fasting and commissioning missionaries, the church that suffered persecution because of the gospel, that church of the first century is gone. In fact, if you were to go today to the same cities where the huge councils of the church were crafted, were held, where the big doctrine of the church were, were laid down. Do you know what you will find today? You will find barely the presence of the church. Today, the Middle East is home to Islam. Today, the big churches of Asia are gone. Not quite, but just let me make the point. Today, they're called the 1040 window. Today, they're called 10 degrees north, 40 degrees north. The Buddhist, the Hindu, the Muslim world. Today, within that rectangle, anything that can go wrong is going wrong. Infant mortality, child abuse, human trafficking, internally displaced people, war, persecution... Lack of scripture. Dialects that don't have anything. All is concentrated in that rectangle. And yet, at the same time, something dramatic is really happening. A lot of you have been praying for a revival to take place. For the church to go back to its glory. For the church to grow. For the church to prosper. For people to be committed to Jesus. And I have good news for you. The revival has come. The revival 
has taken place. The church is growing. Except it's not growing necessarily in America. It's primarily growing someplace else. The church is growing faster than the growth of the population of the world. In the 1980s, something happened. The number of Christians in the non-Western world exceeded the number of Christians in the Western world. The feet of him who bring good news are still beautiful, but they are not white anymore. In fact, if you look at this chart, it tells you that the church is very much alive and kicking. And that it is growing especially in three big chunks of this planet. In Asia, in Africa, and in Latin America. There are more Christians today in Asia than there are Christians in North America, U.S., Canada, and Europe combined. And now think with me for a little while here. Think with me what this means. It means a lot of things. Number one, it means that the missionaries that you supported, that you sent to the rest of the world, such as my country, were actually prosper. They were actually effective. They actually got the job done. When you send missionaries, what do you expect them to do? Well, to be missionaries, meaning to share the gospel. And what do you expect them to happen and to see when they share the gospel? Well, that the natives will positively respond to the gospel, right? Guess what? It happened. It works. Faith promise is not just an envelope or a check. Faith promise is not charity. Faith promise results in people coming to faith in Christ. When missionaries tell you here how hard it is out there, how many years they've been struggling to try to find one convert and to hold a group of people together meeting in a church, in a discipleship group. It is true. But when everything's said and done, this is what is happening. God has made your efforts a success. However, the number of missionaries, the number of Americans, the number of countries that are open to traditional missionary forces is shutting down. How many people do you know that are missionaries to Iran? How many people do you know that are missionaries to the Muslim world? You are a very special church. I can tell you that. Your leadership is listening to God and they're having dreams over the night. And they are leading you into Macedonia's. But you and I know that the world is a different place today than it used to be a hundred years ago. Partners International was born in China. So it were made in China agency. It began in the 1943s when the Japanese were invading China, when Mao's army were taking over, and when all these Western demons, the missionaries, were being kicked out of the country. Some of them came together in the city of Seattle, Washington. And they had this big passion to take the gospel to the Chinese, and they knew they couldn't go back. 
So they began praying and thinking, how do we do this? How do we take the gospel to the Chinese when we cannot go back? And they came up with this idea, the idea of supporting the indigenous Chinese itinerant evangelists who will go out to the villages, who will already speak the language, who will have no visa problem, who already like the food, to go to all these villages and share the gospel with their fellow Chinese men. The idea was not popular at the time. The idea is kind of popular today, but it was not popular at the time. But the idea grew, and it expanded into beyond China, into other regions. Today, Partners International works in exactly, basically, that rectangle of trouble. And we work with the local indigenous church, trying to link them together, trying to connect them, trying to equip them, and trying to listen to them about their dreams of taking the gospel to their own people. That's my job. And now you can imagine what this is happening. I mean, I don't know if you you can see it. You guys send missionaries to my country. I became a Christian. I came to America to get an education to work in the Muslim world. And now I'm working with an agency that was born in China to help the rest of the world preach the gospel to the unreached. Isn't that something? Let me give you the lessons that I have learned after traveling to countless countries. Lesson number one is that God's people want to do God's will. It may be in Sudan, they may be in India, they may be in China, they may be in Africa, they may be in Indonesia, they may be in Timbuktu, Mali, they may be in Nepal. But God's people want to do God's will. This sounds like, duh, Carlos, I understand that. I mean, how many of you want to do God's will? Of course you do. And I'm not saying that you always do it. I'm not saying that that you are successful at doing this. I'm not saying it's deep inside of you. You want to obey God. Is it surprising to you if I tell you that people all over the world are exactly the same as you? That deep inside of them, they want to obey God. They want to to follow Him. They want to do what He says, including the passage that says the commandment that ordains, go and make disciples of all nations. They may be under persecution. They may not have the Bibles. They may not have the training. They may not have the skills. They may not have the money to do it. But let me tell you this. They want to obey God they want to preach the gospel. People like Mustafa, a Berber, Kabil, Algeria. Have you heard of the Arab Spring Revolution in North Africa, all of that? He's right in the middle of that. This man is very unique for an evangelical. He decided not to get married to serve God. Very few Christians, evangelicals, do that. He's one of them. For 20 years, Mustafa worked. I was with him when the Jesus film was translated into the Berber Kabul dialect. 
And I was in the theater when the first movie showing is there. And after the movie, you know, some Muslims were mad saying, you know, why do you make a movie about Jesus? Why don't you make a movie about Muhammad? On and on and on and on. So they're talking like that. And people saying, you know, if you want to make a movie about Muhammad, go ahead and make one. This is about Jesus. And then people will say, you know what? Muhammad speaks Arabic. Jesus speaks Berber. I like him. <laughs> and it went on like that. Today, the largest church in North Africa is a church in Algeria. All because of the commitment of one person that said, I wonder if in my desire to obey God, someone will believe in me and will come alongside me and help me. And so Mustafa and the church in Algeria was born. People like Anita, a very gutsy woman in India, who together with the police is raiding brothels, not just rescuing women, but also trying to find support to, to teach women a trade. And I can go on and on and on telling you, what do you do with the kids of these women? And how do you put them back into a school when they have this, this stigma, you know, that the community says, you are just the son of. And then they have titles for these women. And I'm here to tell you that that is not just. It is not proper. And that we Christians are the ones who are responding to the plight of human trafficking in India. And I think we have a responsibility to do that. And that I am privileged to be working with people like Anita. Because she wants to do God's will. And God's will is that we show compassion. And we restore dignity to women and to children. And to provide for them a better future. And I hope you agree with me on that. I work with people in India who are saying, Yes, we are the largest Hindu country in the world. But we are also the second largest Muslim country in the world. And we also need to reach out to the Muslims in India. Lesson number two is that the fields remain white into harvest and the laborers are still few. What we need is people like this American there who is doing something very unusual for Americans. Do you know what he's doing? He's listening. Americans don't listen. Sorry to tell you that. Americans like to tell you stuff. But this man, over 30 years ago, began talking. His vision was this. I want to plant one church in every one village, in one generation, in the largest Muslim country in the world, Indonesia. No one believed in him, except this American. He was the president of Partners International. And Chris Marantica went, after graduation from Dallas Theological Seminary, to Indonesia to establish Vision Indonesia 111. Let me throw a little commercial here. I don't know if you knew, but Calvary has supported Chris Marantica for years. So take this as your mission's report on your faith promise. Okay? So Alan Finley took on into preaching about Vision Indonesia 111. Tell him that it was okay 
to support these men who couldn't speak English with a proper accent. Who looked like, like he's not a missionary. What are you talking about? For people like Yusuf, who Liz was telling me was here. He's a good friend. I'll be with him in just a few days from Iraq. Who went to the Kurdish region in North Iraq with a dream of establishing the church. Today, there are dozens of churches. There are radio stations. There are medical clinics. There are three schools with over 3,000 students all being taught from a Christian perspective in English. Yusuf and I were together on that MAU, the Meads American University Strategy Group. Yusuf and the churches in Iraq have invested over a quarter of a million dollars in salaries for U.S. professors to develop the curriculum for the university we hope to open in Iraq. Christian-based education with the permission of the authorities. And I can tell you about the Chinese training Indians and about the Africans who are experts at working with tribes, also working with tribes in India. This particular one among the Banjaras. So the people of God wants to do God's will everywhere. The fields remain unto har- white unto harvest. The workers are still few. But there is one third development that I'd like to share with you, and it's this. There is a rise of a non-traditional missionary force. And that is the second Macedonian call. It's not just that Chris Antica and the support that you gave to him resulted in the growth of the church in Indonesia with graduations of hundreds of students from the seminary every year, every June. By the way, prerequisite for graduation at the seminary in Indonesia is you have to plant a church with 30 converted, baptized believers. And it's not you don't get your diploma. Now tell that to Fuller. <laughs> so Chris Morantica has been used to establish branches of the seminary in different islands of Indonesia. And I know you won't be able to read it, but let me, let me try to highlight some of these statistics. He says that the number of salvation, the decisions made for Christ since the beginning of the ministry are 268,000, 268K Muslims that have come to faith in Christ. Have you ever heard of a Muslim that come to faith in Christ? Isn't that a wonderful thing? What if I tell you about 268,000? Because of this Christmas Antica dreamer, who said Indonesia 111. And because of this American that listened and decided to support and work together with him. The number of salvations then is 300,000. The number of people baptized just last year, over 3,000 and over 100,000 since the beginning of the ministry. Number of uh, churches was 160, I think, last year. And from a recent email, this is what Chris Marantica writes. So this is your mission's report. He says, Institutions are approved by the government and receive degrees approved by the government. Praise the Lord for His protection so that we will, could operate in this largest Islamic nation in the world. 
I am encouraged because even though the opposition is getting stronger and stronger, 6,718 people were saved in 2013, and 3,333 of them followed through baptism, and 158 mission points and churches were started. 158 churches started in the largest Islamic nation on earth? Did you hear that? Of course, you don't, won't hear that on CNN. But that is what God is doing. This movement among nationals, this movement among indigenous people, this prospering of the work that you supported, is so evident to the missions community that now nationals are called the majority world. You don't hear expressions like that, two third world countries. Third world countries, the global south. Now you hear the majority world. And yes, the context is a context of war, it's a context of oppression, it's a counter context of conflict. This is a child soldier from South Sudan. Yes, it is a context of, of ecological disasters, of floods and earthquakes. It's a, it's a context of injustice where church buildings are being destroyed, where Christians are being put in prison, when church buildings that maybe you supported are being bombed. That is what is happening. And you have these two pictures of oppression and persecution and poverty. Everything that is negative for missions Anything that is going to keep you and your children and your grandchildren away from being missionaries. And yet, at the same time, the church is growing. And the nationals are, are trying to obey God. And God is prospering them as He prospered the missionaries you sent. So how do you put two and two together? If you watch the movie, Feel It on the Roof, I'll tell you, I don't know. But this I know. This is not the first time this has happened. And most likely, it will not be the last time. You remember the church in Macedonia? You remember the single Macedonian man telling Paul, come over to Macedonia and help us. And how Paul got up in the morning with his band. And they went over to Macedonia. And if you read the story, you read about a jail, Lydia, a woman, businesswoman that welcomed them in a jailkeeper, in an earthquake, and all these things. But if you fast forward, and if you ask the question, whatever happened to the church in Macedonia, I wonder? Well, I'm going to tell you about them right now. In 2 Corinthians 8, it says this, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now, if you were to write a paper on this, what do you think you will say? Established by Paul. That sounds good to me. Enjoyed the benefit of a rich woman who probably had a lot of connection with the Chamber of Commerce. Sounds good to me. Um, they were put in prison. That's not good. An angel got them out of prison. That's good. What would you write? I want you to know about the grace of God 
Grace of God. That sounds great. I mean, the grace of God is present. What does it mean when you have the grace of God? A severe test of affliction. Oh man, that's not what I expected. It's just not affliction. It is just a test. It's a severe test of affliction. So the context for the church was a context of persecution. Was a context of abundant joy. Not happiness, but joy. Extreme poverty. But they are overflowing with something. What is that something? It's a wealth of generosity. They gave according to their means and beyond their means. Maybe they had a great preacher during missions week who convinced them and made them feel guilty, right? No. Out of their own free will. And this is what really gets me. Begging us. Begging is not something I like. Probably you don't either. But this church, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of poverty, in the midst of extreme severe persecution, they are begging earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And so they did that. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So people of God everywhere want to do God's will. The fields remain white unto harvest and the laborers are still few. But I'm here to tell you thank you and to tell you you're not alone anymore. It will be people like me. People like the ones in Nepal. People like the ones in India. People like the ones in Albania that you support. We are also rising as a new non-traditional missionary force. Out of our context of poverty, out of our context of suffering, begging you, can we work together? Let me close with an Arab proverb that says this, a single hand cannot clap. So I'm extending you my hand a thankful hen to tell you that as we are salt to come out of the salt shaker as we are light to not put it under the, the bed but to put it on a pedestal and together let's clap together for God's glory as we advance the gospel to beyond which for his glory may the Lord bless you